The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. Linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins and goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrance incense, and the onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. Uh, If it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so we can sign them in. Thank you, Chase. Well, good morning. My name is Ben, and I'm on staff here. We are glad you're here. Um, You could be anywhere. We say that just about every Sunday, but... On a day like this, you could be in your bed. Lost an hour, it's rainy, but you are here. And so, bravo. And if you're joining us online, um, bravo too. But um, we are looking at the book of Exodus, a sermon series from uh, the people of Israel being delivered from Egypt and going to the promised land, and kind of the journey between those two dots, and how God, amid that journey, gives provisions for them. And he invites them into what freedom looks like. And for us, actually, we look at these things because our journey with Jesus, where we're going, we're following a deliverance uh, to the promised land, to, to the good life. We see those provisions are for us, too. And so this morning, we'll look at generosity. Uh, generosity. As we look at uh, Exodus 35. And so um, the Bible says a lot about generosity. And it says things like in Matthew 6, it says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Acts 20, it says, it's better to give than receive. We hear these kind of hallmark generosity pieces, notes, idioms, um, that we kind of, uh, we, we have a hard time wrapping our arms around. Right? Generosity is a hard topic. Um, we're always either growing in it or new to it, no matter what. We're always in the classroom of generosity. It's hard. But also, we, we hear stuff like that. It's better to give than receive. Don't store up uh, treasures on earth, uh, but, but in heaven. And 
and frankly, we just kind of, it washes over us in such a way that it, we're kind of numb to it. And, and there's a, there, we grow indifferent to it because not that it's not true, it just feels ethereal. It feels, this idea of generosity, it feels nebulous and, and it feels not very tangible. And so what I would offer this morning is that generosity is not flowing from a sense of it's there to make you feel good. And it's not flowing from a tax benefit perk. And, and actually, it's, it's not flowing from just philanthropic ideas. The thought of generosity is this. That you can't have joy and not be generous. It's impossible. And you can't truly be generous and not have joy because that's not true generosity. We all want joy. And we all are slow to generosity. We could have a whole sermon series on this, and people have, and it's a good thing. Um, And we could talk about a lot this morning. So we're going to be here for about an hour and 45 minutes. I can't, no, we're not. but we're just going to look at and see what Exodus 35 has for us in the topic of generosity, because there's much here for us, even a modern people. And we'll look at three things this morning. The aim of generosity, the gift of generosity, and the freedom of generosity. The aim, the gift, the freedom. But let me pray as we study God's word together. Let's pray. Lord, would you, as you have promised, meet your people this very day? And Lord, as you've promised, meet your people with provisions where you provide for them and you lead them toward the good life, the abundant life, the life that Jesus died for us to give. And so I pray by the power of your spirit, we would see this invitation to generosity and that we'd see it, and we would understand the goodness of it. So much of my life, Lord, is with a closed, clenched fist. And I'm not alone there. And so would you, this very day, by the power of your living spirit, come into our hearts, open our hands, just as your hand is opened. King Jesus, you have walked out of the tomb. May we walk out with you knowing that we have freedom to be generous because, Lord, you have been generous with us. You aren't just generous. You are generosity. May we learn from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, So first, the aim of generosity. The aim of generosity. We're looking at the book of Exodus. And what has happened is in chapter 13, 14, Moses has led the people out of Egypt, out of the land of 400 years of oppression. And he's led them out, and they've gone through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And on chapter 19 to 31, so about 12, 13 chapters, Moses is on the mountain. He's on Mount Sinai, and he's doing a few things up there. He's getting the the Ten Commandments. God's giving him the Ten Commandments. He's giving them laws of how to relate to to your neighboring nations, how to be set apart but engaging and beautiful, and and how do you sacrifice with them in mind. And also he's given them the the ornery details of the tabernacle blueprints, how to build the tabernacle where the people of God and man can meet. And here we see, um, we've talked about in chapter 25, about the details of that, all those little details. 
and we've, we've preached on that a few weeks ago, but that was more of the thought and the concept. And what we see here this morning, which is very similar, is the building, the swinging hammers, the shovels are breaking ground. This is actually happening, the tabernacle. And in that, we see the aim of God for generosity, because the aim of God for us in generosity. But he's not just telling us how to build it, what to do. He's saying something deeper, the aim of generosity. And we see kind of in a smattering of verses throughout this. And it says in verse 5 and, and other places, it says, uh, Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Verse 21, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him. 22. So they came, both men and women, all who, have a, all who were of a willing heart brought things. 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill upon and spun the goat's hair. 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. God is asking for their stuff. Why is God asking for their stuff? In Exodus 25, we saw that, okay, God doesn't, he doesn't need your stuff. If he needed your stuff, why would you worship someone who actually needs you? They're needy, right? We don't want a needy God. Why, would, why does he want your stuff? Because if he wants your stuff, it feels like you're just kind of a way to get that. They're being used and manipulated and coaxed into something just for something else. What we see in 25, but, but certainly here, is that God is asking them and inviting them into generosity because he wants them. God wants them. And we see it six times how people are moved in heart, have a generous heart, moved in their spirit. God wants the MO, the, the mode of operations, who they are. God wants them, and therefore his aim in generosity is not their stuff, but their hearts. And he says, this is a free will offering. I'm not demanding this. I'm inviting you into the generous life. And everything he's asking and inviting them into is framed by what he's done for them. What has he done for them? In the last few weeks of their life, he's done this. He's delivered them from captors that they've known for 400 years. He's given them pillars to lead them during the day and the night. He's walked them through the Red Sea. What has he done? He's given them a song to sing after they've been delivered and their Egyptian uh, enemies have been eliminated. After that, he gave them, after they grumbled to him, they gave them manna and, and meat to eat. After that, we see that he gave them 10 commandments. After that, he gave them instructions how to love their neighbor. After that, he gave them the tabernacle. After that, he gave them the Sabbath. After that, he gave them mercy after they worshiped the golden calf. That's just the past few weeks of their life. And so when God says, I want to invite you into generosity to give of what you have for the sake of a communal cause, all of it is framed by the fact of, look what I've done for you. I want to invite you into this. I'm not after your stuff, I'm after you. I'm after your heart. The invitation is to respond to the one who's gone to bat for them, who's freed them, fed them, led them, it's about a relationship to their God. And yet, for us, we have ways in which this conversation and topic of generosity has resistance. 
we'll, we'll resist, or at least we'll thwart. There's ways in which all of us do that. That's why we're all kind of a little tighter this morning, because we heard it's about generosity. It's okay. This week, I got an email from um, the director of our daughter's uh, Mother's Day Out program, and she sent an email and said, someone has um, anonymously uh, paid for your daughter's fees, taken care of. And my first thought was this, that's so kind. We need to write an email back and say, hey, um, please pass this on to whoever did it, because we, we really are so grateful. This is not expected, and it plopped in our lap. And my second thought right after that was this. What am I going to spend that money on for me? <laughs> after initial gratitude, it's followed up with this selfishly wielding generosity for myself. And it's no wonder why the Lord's aim and generosity is our heart. Because for us, even if we don't thwart it like that, maybe, or take advantage of it like that, there are ways we resist it where we say, you know what, God, um, I hear this call to generosity, but, but we're living in this modern world, and, and I don't want to get behind. Everything's moving fast. Everything's asking much of me, and everybody's going to zoom by me. <coughs> Sorry. I'll be going 40 to 40, and they're going to be zooming by me and going 50 and 60, and the keeping up with the Joneses. I will get behind. Or, you know, God, hey, if I give, I will be without in some particular way. That I will have lack and I won't have this or that. Or maybe you think, if I'm generous, someone will take advantage of my generosity. Not like I did, no. Someone will take advantage of my generosity. And maybe that says more about your heart than the potential people that take advantage of you. Right, there are ways we resist and thwart generosity when we skirt up against it. And because of that, because naturally we are a hoarding people, a tight-fisted people, God says, I want to invite you into this. Not demand it, because you might double down then. I want to invite you to the freedom of being generous. Because for us, yeah, we, we know God, he loves us, takes care of us, he'll meet our needs. But the truth is, money is just a helpful thing to have because it meets our needs a little faster, easier, at our terms, on our pace. God's after the heart, which is why in, in Mark 10, there's a story about the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler uh, comes to Jesus, and here's what we see. In Mark 10, it says, uh, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him. And loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. 
At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. For this rich young ruler, he is rich. He has affluence, right? He's got a lot that could. The disciples are looking at this guy and like, yes, he is. We're unstoppable with him. He's got money. He's young. He's spry. He's easy, easy on the eyes. He's, he's a ruler. He's got power and influence. And also he's religious, right? He's got the right things. He's done all these things, the, the second half of the Ten Commandments. And yet it says Jesus loved him. Not as he's saying no to him or deferring him or pushing him away. But Jesus loves him enough to say, I can't let the stuff that I've given you get in the way between me and what I'm after, your heart, you. Because the aim of generosity is Jesus is going after our hearts and he loves us too much to let that stuff get in the way. So we see that's the aim, but what's, what's the offering? What's the, the offering of generosity? The gift of generosity. Uh, what we see in this list of uh, Exodus 35 is uh, the first kind of smattering of all the things that are in your grandmother's attic that's collecting dust. It is, we see a list. Um, garments, brooches, earrings, rings, armlets, gold, a bunch of yarn. Uh, we see goat's hair. May not be in your grandmother's attic, but we'll see. Uh, tans, ramskins, silver, bronze, onyx stone, and oil. All these things are what people are bringing. And what's important to note here is before every single one of those items is listed, it says, and they brought this, and they brought this, and they brought this, and they brought this, brought, brought, brought. Eight times it says brought to the point when you read it, you just, it's just this smattering of lists. It says they brought it, they brought it, they brought it. Everyone has something to offer. It's all different and yet they have something to offer. And what's amazing is there's no hierarchy here. And there's no hierarchy here. In Exodus 35 or Restoration Southside, there is no um, donor of the month sign in the parking lot. Um, sorry if you were the donor of the month, uh, but you don't have a parking spot. There is no executive espresso lounge where I come in and I rub your feet and say, thank you so much for your giving. And here's a warm towel for your face. It's pretty gross, actually. I don't like feet. Uh, there's no preferential treatment in a hierarchy of giving. And actually, we'll see in a second that, that God never views it that way. But here with Israel, there's an assumption here. And the assumption is this, that everyone has something to offer. Every person in that community has something to give. And I would say the same thing for us. And there's also another assumption that every single person gives to the end, to the telos, the goal of beautifying and flourishing the community their feet are in. And we see that very thing, not in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, but also in the book of Acts, the first book that happens after the Gospels in the New Testament. Jesus has done his life. He's come, he, he's done his ministry, he's died, he's risen, and now he has ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? What's the first thing that happens and is noted when Jesus is not there? We see 
verse 42 and on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The immediate reality when Jesus ascends is this, that Jesus' people say, we are about him, therefore we are about his people. To the point in which, never on my watch will I let someone in my midst go without need, to the point where I'm going to make it cost me something. Selling property and possessions so that no one had any need. I'm going to put myself on the line. That's kind of the communal ramification of generosity. It's going to cost me something to give you something, and guess what? I'm about it. And so how do we see that ideal play out? Right, realistically, that's a good thought, but how do we see it play out? In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. But he says, if our charities do not pinch at all or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be moments we should like to do and cannot because of our charitable charitable expenditure excludes them. He's saying there's going to be a point in which you give so much that you can't do something. You'll have to say no, not yes. And in the words of the modern day C.S. Lewis, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, give it away, give it away, give it away now. He's saying you will know life by the ethic where you give yourself away. And actually, it's going to hurt. You're going to feel it. It's going to cost you something. And we see that very thought in a case study in Mark 12. And in Mark 12, we see that Jesus sat, it says, uh, we sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd. He's watching these people give money to the temple, putting their money into the temple treasury. And many rich people threw in large amounts but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. C.S. Lewis, Red Hot Chili Peppers, The Giving Widow. What we see is that what we offer costs us something. It requires a restructuring of our lives. That's how much. Because you can't have a beautiful community unless you have a community that's marked by generosity. Put it one more uh, deeper level. That regular giving costs you convenience. Right? When you give, it's going to cost you some convenience. You know, hey, here's this, but, but I can still uh, navigate life fine. 
I just give regularly. But costly giving, when you can't reorient your life, restructure your life, when you have to actually say no to something because of how much you're giving, what it actually does is it cultivates community. That when you give what you have to offer for the sake of a communal cause of something that's beautiful, actually Jesus can do much with that. And guess what? You've seen that. This place has seen that. This Friday will be the one-year anniversary of us signing up the dotted line and owning this building. Pretty fun. Um, And we have really enjoyed it. Well, before that, months before that, uh, about a year and a half before that, um, we particularized as a church, which means we became our self-governing, ch- self-governing church. We have elders in place, leaders in place, a vision in place, all these different things. So one week we became a particular church, and then a week or two later we had our first elders meeting. And we're talking about, okay, we, we've been asked if we wanted to buy this building right, we're in, we're in right now. And people are like, okay, well, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to raise three or four million dollars to buy this building. And we're talking, and we're, we're doing this, strategizing. And uh, one of the elders at the time, Nick Vandermeer, raised his hand and said, hey, hey uh, we're going about this all wrong. Which, if you ever had to raise three or four million dollars, if someone says, hey, you're, you're going about this wrong, it's really not the words you want to hear. And so he says, we're going about this all wrong. Because what we need to do is tell the people with open hands and open hearts, hey, you've got bread and you've got fish. And just like the story where Jesus took the the fish and the bread and the loaves from the little boy, broke it, blessed it, and fed 20,000 people. It said five, but it didn't include women and children. 20,000 people. That's the exact same thing we are to do. And actually, you think to yourself, okay, we, on that Sunday, Nick said that on the stage, and then we had, the, we had all the money right then. No. Our capital campaign ended at the end of the year, December 31st. In the final hours of December 31st, Elizabeth Dyer looked at the account, and it grew. And it didn't grow because it had this big deposit of a bunch of zeros on it. I had like $10. And somebody gave like $50. And somebody gave 5 And somebody gave 25 Everyone bought, brought their fishes and their loaves. And what happened? God did much with it. And that's just about a building. Christ is the head of the church. He loves his bride, the church. His bride, the church, is not a building. It's you. So if that story tells the story of generosity amid a building, how much more is it about a generosity, about the things he really loves? You. And the call to be generous among a generous people for the sake of a community actually changes everything. Because it's a humbling truth that Christ, Christianity, that what you have is not yours. And it's an invigorating truth when God says, hey, when you give it, whatever you have for the sake of what I'm about, 
I can really do something special. So my question is, what do you have to offer? In Exodus, they gave these goat skins and, and, and oil and stones and gold. And if, if you brought a, a ram skin, I would think to myself, I uh, don't know what to do with this, but I also have some questions for you. Um, what do you have to offer? Yeah, sure, money. But it has to be more beautiful than that. Because it, it, it could be the words of wisdom and counsel as you live in a relationship among the church. You are the church. It could be wordless actions as you enter into someone's world that costs you comfort and routine and sets you up maybe for an awkward conversation even. But you know what's going on in their head and their heart and their lives and you're going to leave a meal on the porch for them. But actually, it's, it's words of comfort and it, it's, it's wordless actions even. But it can be more. Like, you know what? In this season of life, what you have to offer is just showing up. I'm beat down. I'm tired. I'm hurting. Jesus, what I can give you is this, that I'll be, I'll be there. Do much with that. And in fact, the God that we serve may just be big enough that he says, what do you have to offer? What if you have to offer vulnerability? Because maybe he's a God that's big enough and strong enough and beautiful enough that says, I can do a lot with that for the sake of transforming and have a community that flourishes. Because when you open yourself up and and share the vulnerable parts of your life, it's not about seeking attention or having it be a sob story. It's about saying, I need Jesus this much. And guess what? A A community is changed when they see pictures and notes of that. What, friends, do you have to offer as God is inviting you into a life of generosity? Because Christ died for you. Not because you have something to offer him. But Christ died for you. Therefore, whatever you have to offer, whatever you have in your world, amplifies the fact that he is the one who's inviting you into this journey of freedom that's marked by generosity and joy. So if you have something to offer, if you have a gift, an offering, where is there freedom in that? It's this last idea. We're looking at these provisions as they're, they're left slavery in Egypt, and everything God gives them is actually a marker of freedom, a reality of freedom. So how is generosity not restricting, but it's freeing? How so? This week, uh, I heard one pastor talk about generosity. And he said that he, uh, for years, understood this story in Scripture about the pearl of great price in Matthew 13 a certain way. And here's that story. It says this. It says, um, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. And at that story, that pastor says, for years he said, you know what, Um, I'm going to lead this church, and you guys could sell your stuff, and let's give it all to Jesus. 
Let's go. Come on. Uh, sell your land and sell everything you have for the sake of this thing you found. Jesus is this pearl of great price. And um, we're going to go we're going to go buy it. Sell everything else, let's go buy that. And for him he said, I realized I just had it all wrong. Because the story of Scripture is not a story of us finding this God, finding this Savior, selling it all, and buying him. It's the complete opposite. Because Jesus isn't the pearl. You're the pearl. And we're not the ones that give up everything. He's the one that gives up everything. And in fact, it says, after he finds you and sees you, acknowledges you, what he does, it says, in his joy, he goes gives up everything to get the one thing that he found. And you are the thing that he found. The God who finds you gives everything up to get you. And that very father, one pastor, then acknowledged this quote from James K.A. Smith. He said, Every child looking for an absent, distant father is on the road to cover up a deeper desire. And that deeper desire is this, that such a father would come looking for them. That the arrow of hunger would be reversed and the father would return. Because then uh, we would know that he was thinking about us, looking for us and loving us. What to make of this father hunger other than a deep longing to be seen and known by the one who made us? There's freedom and generosity. When we grasp the fact that the God of all things looks at you and he finds you. And he loves you. And he gives things up for you. Because he wants you. And when we are generous because of that, we're not buying affection or buying love. We're freed because he loves us, because he found us, because he purchased us to be generous. Such a father is looking for you, the pearl of great price. That's where there's freedom and generosity. And real freedom and generosity also goes one more step. This week, um, the women uh, retreat is happening right now. They're coming back, hopefully, hopefully. Please come back. Um, <laughs> and on Friday, my wife left. And when you have a weekend as a uh, solo parenting, you have to rack up the W's. You have to win because any loss is pretty big. And so uh, we started off the time away, uh, my wife, um, by me blowing up this bounce house that we have. I love Sam's Club. I love the $1.50 uh, drink and, and hot dog. I love that you can buy a vat of popcorn the size of this table. It's, it's a, Sam's Club is America. It, you can, it's unstoppable. It's, you can get anything you want. But we bought this bounce house from Sam's Club. And we, my kids, our kids love it. And so as my wife went out of town, we blew up this bounce house and, um, 
I just couldn't sit still. I know it's hard for me to sit still, so I began to have grocery bags in hand, and I picked up sticks in the backyard, and picking up uh, my dog's deposit with the, with the bags on my hands. Cleaning up the backyard, and my daughter begins to tell me, uh, Dad, come jump with me. She says, Dad, come jump with me. She says, Dad, come on. And finally, she gets off this bounce house, and she comes over to me. She says, Dad, come jump with me. It's, it's just more fun with you. My daughter gets fatherhood more than her father does. And there's freedom and generosity because when we begin to say to God, God, it's just more fun with you. We are people who know we are freed to give because he's given us everything we need. And we begin to know the Father's heart for us. And it's a dangerous thing to say, God, it's more fun with you. Would you join me in this as we give your stuff away and I see you multiply the bread and the, and the fish It's a dangerous thing because God then can do whatever he wants and yet you are placed in the very place you need to be to know I have everything I need, I lack nothing and I will know the fullness of joy in giving because that's exactly what my God has done for me, the pearl of great price. Let's pray. kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field for the joy set before you lord you endured the cross for us not so that you would demand a tax from your people, but so that you could give us everything we could ever need and more. You can invite us into the life of generosity that says, isn't it fun? You're giving things away with your dad. Prick our hearts, Lord, where we're circling wagons out of fear and protection. Prick our hearts, Lord, where we, Lord, uh, give, but you want us to give more. Would you disturb the comfortable? Would you comfort the disturbed? All because you are a God of generosity, calling us to be generous just like you. We pray, Lord, in your name. Amen. We, Lord, uh, give, but you want us to give more. Would you disturb the comfortable? Would you comfort the disturbed? All because you are a God of generosity, calling us to be generous just like you. We pray, Lord, in your name. Amen.